You actually have to be on cocaine to be on this podcast. What's up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. I am your commissioner, Bob Trollsby, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the good chef, Andre Napier, and Fireball Matt Marchesini. Tonight, we have a Friday Night Lights matchup down in Stillwater, Oklahoma, on the first Friday of October, which, as an aside, I think we are all in agreement, should just be a thing from here on out. It's an old, old school, you know, matchup between between the Pokes and the, and the Cats, but... Uh, we are now joined by a now recurring guest, the man behind the 1012 Network and the flagship podcast, the 1012 Pod. Philip Slavin is on tonight to help us preview the 70th matchup between the Pokes and the Cats and to tell us a little bit more about a very bizarre Pokes team this year. Philip, how are you doing tonight? Can I just say, and I mean this entirely as a compliment, the intro music sounds like something that's like the second song some like new DJ puts out. He's like, y'all listen to this. Yeah, feel that beat? Feel that? That's good stuff. That's good I appreciate stuff. that. As, as the uh, the writer, editor, and producer of, of the song. <laughs> but, uh, Robbie Triano is the one at the beginning, uh, former, former host of Midwest Madness, uh, saying, uh, do you actually have to be on cocaine to be on this podcast? God, I hope not. Uh, maybe to survive an episode, but not necessarily just to be a guest on it. Uh, I mean, at least you probably should be to talk about Oklahoma State football this year because that's the only way to dis- uh, explain why they did what they did for three games, uh, much to the detriment of fans and the program as a whole. Yeah, and, and I mean, first and foremost, I I don't really know how else to slice this, but this has been a really weird freaking year for, for Oklahoma state so far through four games, you've had three different quarterbacks playing and not because of injury. Mike Gundy seemingly leaning into that idea and, and has repeatedly defended his, his choice to do that. And it's an Oklahoma state state team that now sits at two and two with losses to what we can all agree is probably a bad Iowa state team. Uh, with hot seat Matt Campbell uh, and still still getting under his skin from the fans, and uh, 33 to seven drubbing at home by a pretty solid G5 squad in South Alabama, maybe I don't know what what are no. <laughs> what's no. what, what's happening in Stillwater right now? Look, under, understand coming into the season, like South Alabama was my G5 darling. They had a great defense last year. They were really good. Like they had legit chance, I thought, to like go win Sun Belt and. They followed up the drubbing of OSU by losing at home to Central Michigan, and then they lost again this week. And I think they lost a game before they played Oklahoma State, too. So at best, they're not like two and five, three. So, no. Like, you, if you want to make the argument that South Alabama sacrificed the other four games at the, the beginning of their schedule just to prepare to face Oklahoma State, I will believe that. That doesn't justify OSU getting their asses, hands, pardon, well, whatever handed to them at home to South Alabama. But like, and that's, again, this is not to be like defend Mike, please. There, in no way, shape, or form am I going to defend the worst loss of the Mike Gundy era in any at all, at all. So, um, yeah, the three-quarterback system. Um, I'm not sure Gundy ever really defended it. I think the closest thing to defending it he ever said was like, well, you've basically along the lines of like, you've seen them, which one would you pick? Which, of course, led to the entire fan base turning away from him and turning on themselves and each other to argue about which one was better. And I'm not, Oh God. Like it's, it's that South park episode where they have to choose between like a shit sandwich and a, and a douche. Right. Um, like that's for, for Canada, like that. And I, that's mean to say, because I like Rangel and I, there's nothing wrong with Bowman and, and Gundy is Gundy's son, but like, it's not like any of them were particularly good. And they played at various points in the game and the offense suffered through a complete and total lack of consistency. They barely gave the ball to Ollie Gordon. Brennan Presley hasn't touched the ball hardly at all. Um, Like it was just a disjointed mess, plain and simple. The defense did enough for the first two games and couldn't do nearly enough in the third or the fourth. And so you sit here at two and two. And like, I don't, I don't know any Oklahoma state fan, not that we're eternal pessimists um, that, 
are like this is gonna be this this is this is going great this is this is gonna be awesome uh because like you watch the Iowa State game and and did they look better than they did the first two weeks of the season absolutely but when you treat the non-conference like a preseason then when you get to game four and actually decide who your quarterback and weapon should be, it takes everyone a while to get warmed up and to kind of figure some things out. So, so game four looked like what game one should have looked like a team that had to figure some things out and some things clicked and didn't, and didn't, but it looked like a, something that you could work with and, and, and build moving forward. That was game four, not game one, game four. So for three games, you screwed around, messed around, whatever. And now you're here two and two. You have a, a week off to prepare for a home game against Kansas State on a Friday night that, as a Big 12 fan, I agree. I think, and uh, our good friend uh, Scott Wildcat of Bosco's Boys has, has made this point, and I agree with him. OSU Kansas State should just kick off the Big 12 season every year on Friday night. I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be great to have a little tradition like that. I think it's usually a pretty good game. I'm not looking forward to this year. Just not. Not. That's completely fair. And um, you were on the pod last year um, for the show. Um, and one of the things you talked about was the consistency, the culture, the staying power that Mike Gundy has had in his time in Stillwater. That being said, obviously, with the rough start this year, what are you hearing from Oklahoma State insiders, people in Stillwater about Mike Gundy and what you think the future is going to hold for him for the rest of the season and going into 2024. No one who has been at their job and had the level of success that he has had or been at their job for as long as he has had the level of success that he has had there is ever removed after one bad season. Ever especially not when you make as much as Mike Gundy does and when your buyout would be as high as Mike Gundy's is. And look, I, I'm not going to claim to be some like, you know, ear to the grindstone. I, I know all the secrets kind of person. Do I think that there are some of the people, decision makers who are older and remember the days pre Gundy and Les miles who were terrified of losing Gundy and where the program will go afterwards. Yes. Do I think he has, um, Gundy has, frankly, too much control inside the program. Probably. But let me just say this. Mike Gundy knows more about college football, about football, than the four of us combined, even if we all spent 24-7, 365 for a whole year, 20 hours a day doing nothing but learning college football. He'd still know way more than any all of us combined. I don't like he's forgotten more about coaching college football than we have. I don't think that it's necessarily the game itself that has passed him by. I do think it's a stubbornness and an unwillingness to accept the changes in the sport and college athletics as a whole that are costing them. The signs of concerns have been there for a while. Um, at this point, I treat Baylor and Oklahoma State's 2021 season the same way I treat Iowa State's 2020. Thank you, COVID. Okay? Because if you think about it, and you think about 2021 for both Baylor and Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State season was because you had a mad genius at defensive coordinator and Jim Knowles who basically built up the thing that made you successful because your offense was god-awful. Couldn't figure out Jalen Warren was your best running back until game four. Oh, and by the way, so many of the guys on that defensive roster who were so important to you were super seniors. So you take guys who wouldn't have been there if not for a COVID year and the architect of that incredible defense in Jen Knowles, and that's how 2021 occurs. I will give Mike Gundy some credit for it, but the further we get for it, from it, the less credit he deserves for that season. The offense has been an issue for a while. Uh, Spencer Sanders covered up a lot of their problems last year. And once he got hurt, you really saw what's going on. And now you look at this team and look, there are good players on this roster. But it is not. We with OSU, oftentimes we can ignore some of the recruiting kind of like Kansas State, like they're going to find the guys, they're going to develop the guys, they're going to turn them into to studs. 
the roster's not there. It's not. And I don't I mean, look at recruiting for next year. It's not suddenly going to get better. Like at a certain point, you when you were in a conference full of people who find diamonds in the rough, like there's only so many that just like five stars, there's only so many of those, right? And and you're going to whiff on some. And so I'm concerned about the depth. I don't see the influx of talent coming in. You've now seen Gundy talk in a press conference about the Pokes with a Purpose Collective. Yuck. You've seen the players tweeting and commenting about it on social media. There's obviously a push by the administration to do so because Gundy spent a bunch of time the first few weeks of the season complaining about NIL and collectives. And South Alabama doesn't care about those things. They just want to, those players are just there to play football. Cool. Great. Go to the XFL, man. Nope. Sorry. They got to get paid there too. I forgot. Just go coach high school. I don't know. <laughs> I just, we're, it's going to be a long year. There's a very real chance it's going to be a long couple of years. And if you're an Oklahoma State fan who is ready to move on from Mike Gundy, I think you're okay with four and eight. I think you're okay with a bad season this year. Well, but think of it this way. Gary stuck around. Patterson stuck around for as long as he did at TCU because he kept saying seven and five, five, seven, six and six. It's hard to get rid of him. I'm easy to get rid of Gundy. And the longer he stays around bowl eligibility and that bowl streak continues, the longer he's going to be able to stay. So if you are someone who wants Gundy gone because you don't think he can turn things around, and Gundy's Gundy's changed what he does time and time and time again. The question now is just is he willing to actually take change off the field as much as he has been willing to change on the field? And so far, the answer is no. All right, so... We're talking on the field now, and you know the the lead of the offense is the quarterbacks. We, Oklahoma State's got three of them. Thanks, you know, we all thought it was going to be Alec Bowman, uh, Alan Bowman, going into the the season. He's thrown three ints. You got Gunner Gunner Gundy still there, the coach's son. He his hands are still trembling from K State last year, and then you got the freshman Garrett Rangel Rangel, sorry, and. You know, he's a freshman, so what are you going to do? And then you got a, a a promising young freshman on the bench who hasn't played. When is he going to play? Who knows? But with such a mixed bag at quarterback, um, I know we're, we were just talk, talking large picture with that, but for Friday, what are we what are we going to expect from the quarterback position? I mean, it's going to be Bowman. Bowman. That's, the, that's the most frustrating part about this whole – freaking quarterback dance is after all that nonsense, we still ended up exactly where we all thought we were going to end up. So like, great. Thanks. But wonderful use of time and energy. And you could tell like that first quarter was hard to watch against Iowa state because the offense couldn't do squat. Like he wasn't connecting with receivers. Everything was out of balance. And, and most of the time Alan Bowman played like you saw potential, but they could never get a rhythm, but no quarterback could. And so it took them, until about the second quarter to feel like things were getting better. And there's still hiccups and there's still issues. And like, it's all kinks that should have been worked out the first three weeks of the season not against Iowa state. And then an idle week where you're only going to learn so much at idle week. Gundy said, basically he's getting 60% of the snaps. Alan Bowman, the other two are splitting the other 30 or 40. Sorry. I'm math. I was an art major for a reason. Um, and it's still just like, okay, we're getting 60%. Like, for a guy who didn't start a college football game for two years, sure, continue to limit his reps. That's exactly what's going to help you with, with with football this season. Like he's going to be the starter. I I do think, I do think he's probably the best option of the three. If you're looking at this from a win now perspective, um, I do think he makes the offense better. I do think he has the better arm. Um, he's not the most mobile of the three of them at all. Um, and I mean, look, your big concern is that Alan Bowman has a history of injuries like every other Texas tech quarterback for the last 20 years or so. I kid it's the last 11. Um, but like, I think if you're in a, we're going to win now, he gives you the best option. If it's me, 
Like in my perspective, once we get past win now, it needs to be Wrangle or Wrangell. You got me doing it too. You got me saying his name wrong, y'all. God, good grief. Like I am, I am in a this is a this is a new defense. We've changed schemes with a new defensive coordinator. You've wanted to change the offensive scheme. There's a ton of new faces on this roster. Like if you can get to a bowl game, great, I guess. Like part of me is like punt. Like put this program back together. And I don't know that playing Bowman for a year if he lasts the year and he might have a, be able to get another year of eligibility next year and we can make jokes about how old he is kind of like Kansas players. Um but like if you're not going to go win double digit games then set the program up for success. It, it, it reminds me of 2018 after, uh, no, um, yeah, 2018 season. Rudolph was gone. Um, you had Spencer Sanders as a true freshman. You didn't want to play him. So out comes Taylor Corndog Cornelius. And it was an up and down season where you could beat all the ranked teams on your schedule and lose to all the 500 record non-ranked teams on this. Go look at the schedule. They beat like all but one ranked team they faced all year and couldn't beat anybody not ranked outside of non-conference. Weirdest, absolutely weirdest season on record whatsoever. Um, I was at the bowl game here. But like, it felt like a reset. It was your first year for Jim Knowles as a defensive coordinator. Like they went with the stable guy just to try and keep the things afloat until they started getting things built up. And it was kind of like, a, okay, this is what we're going to do. You didn't have a stable guy on the roster because Spencer Sanders left to go warm the bench at Ole Miss. And then you brought in old man Bowman and had a redshirt freshman, uh, two redshirt freshmen, I forget, or uh, Gunner's a redshirt sophomore, I forget. And then you've got Zane Flores, who's a true freshman. You're not going to play him. I just, like, I think they thought they'd do another 2018, except they didn't have a guy who knew the program. So you fiddled around. For, I just, I don't understand. No, no reason we've heard so far has ever made any sense to me. I'm sorry. I just like none of it makes sense. And you'd really just kind of have to ask the question of like, what what's actually going on? Like, what are you guys trying to do? Because I, I don't think any fans like, yeah, okay. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, as far as quarterback, yeah, sorry. I'm rambling and ranting. It's It'll be Alan Bowman. Um, hopefully he'll look better having actually had a full game under his belt. Now he's getting the majority of the snaps in practice. And maybe it'll start to look like the team we thought it would at the beginning of the year, just in week five. Yeah, and and when you look at, at those first four games, you know, to date, Oklahoma State's currently ranked 116th out of 130 30 or so, 133 FBS teams in total yards per game, uh, with 4.4 <laughs> yards or uh, or 4.4 yards per play as well. Um, they're, they're 117th and off in, uh, gosh, I'm totally screwing this up. Uh, they're a hundredth in both rushing and passing yards per game. They're 117th in yards per play on offense at 4.4. You've got Ollie Gordon, the second and Elijah Collins who lead the team in rushing yards with 230 and 102 respectively. Gordon, the second is averaging about 6.2 yards per carry uh, with two touchdowns total. And then receiving wise, you have a rushing and receiving threat in Jaden Nixon who has 211 all purpose yards uh, with a majority of those coming through the air, ironically enough, uh, and two wide receivers with 198 or more yards on the year so far with Jaden Bray and Dejon Stribling. When you look at some of those traditional stats around offense, and then you look at some of the offensive skill position players outside of the quarterback position, What's your assessment of the offense going into the matchup on Friday? And and I, you've kind of alluded to this a couple of times. Do you think that, la that, that last matchup against Iowa State is going to set this team up for foundationally to improve in those offensive statistics? Or do you think it's going to end up being more of the same that, we, that we've seen kind of for those first, first four games or so? Like you would like to see OSU come out and look better in this game than they did against Iowa State. So please start the game better than they did because now you've got some decisions that have been made. Um, but, like, the defense has been up and down. Um, your secondary has been banged up. How healthy are they when we get to this game? Um, your, your offensive line continues to be a major, major issue for Oklahoma State. I just... That we really appreciate you letting us have your old offensive line coach. We'd I'd like to give him back. Shout out, Coach uh, Dickey. Shout out, Coach Dickey. 
politicians and not football coaches. There, there needs to come a point where it's like, sorry, I don't mean to be ageist, but like re- retirement would do you good. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> it's not my show. I don't care. I'll say whatever I want. Um, I'm not a fan of the Oklahoma State offensive coaching staff, like uh, across the board. Dunn is an incredible. Dunn is the most underrated wide receiver coach in the country. He currently is the offense coordinator. I'll leave it at that. Um, like there are skill talent weapons. Ollie Gordon is a good running back who still has a lot to learn. Sure would have been nice if you'd had three games with him as the starter, actually getting the ball to be the guy to work through some things he needed to be able to do. Like you actually see the holes open up a little bit better. It would have been nice if he could have done that before, you know, conference play started. Um, Dijon Stribling, you brought him in from Washington State. I, I do think he is probably the the guy for this offense as far as wide receiver goes. Sure, it would be nice if he had more opportunities with Alan Bowman to get more on the same page through the first three weeks of the season as opposed to trying to learn how to do that at Iowa State. Um, you can't seem to get – Mike Gunny's like, we got to get Brennan Presley the ball. It's like, no, duh, you're the head coach. Whose job is that to do? And then he went off on some rant about a local sports radio, like – like one of the worst local sports radio guys isn't the blowhard you oh, I was the only one you allowed to be an insider in the program. Oh, I don't know. Um, sorry, I'm I'm just <laughs> I'm I'm having a hard time with this program, not just being annoyed and pessimistic and ready to jump on whatever other Big 12 bandwagon I can as a Big 12 fan, as a guy who like covers this conference as a whole. I'm like, you know what? Like I watch other teams and I'm just go, that's fun. Scheming a wide receiver open as opposed to just trying to force them to win one-on-one matchups all the time running down the field. Sure. It'd be nice if you could scheme them open as assuming they should just do it on their own. Oh, what's the matter? Uh, Talon Wallace isn't out here anymore. Oh, that's right. No shit. Him on James Washington and them. They're all, there's none of those guys are here anymore because you're great wide receiver coach. Now the offensive coordinator. So we can't actually bring in and develop wide receivers like he used to funny how that works as well um can you guys tell how pessimistic i am am i the grumpiest guy to ever come on here <laughs> so far so far but you know there's yes. as we get through the season yes. well the houston people will probably be on the same uh same wavelength Ooh, but... that is that seat is <laughs> his yeah. data's buyout is very interesting uh yeah good luck to them um I do want to talk about the defensive side of the ball. Um, Oklahoma State right now currently 51st out of 130 teams in FBS in total yards allowed, 63rd in rushing yards allowed, 47th in passing yards allowed. Uh, defense this year has been pretty good on first downs, 33rd best defense as far as uh, opponents' first downs per game. But they do give up a lot of first downs, 88th in the country and allowing third down conversions. So I – a lot of very average numbers. That's definitely um, easy to say, but looking at the defense um, for these first four games, how would you maybe assess how good or poor this defense has been so far this year? Uh, well, let's, let's here. I'll, I'll throw some numbers at you as well. Shout out friend of the pod, Parker Fleming, CFB dash graphs.com. Let's look at this Oklahoma state. Uh, defensively 87th in EPA on defense, 58th against the rush, 99th against the pass, 102nd on early downs. Like it was going to be a rebuilding year on defense. You brought in Brian Nardo, who Gundy loves to find himself some coordinators from the lower divisions. Cool beans. Um, you lost a ton off this defense from the last two years who had been so integral in the success of this defense. You've lost them either to graduation or a transfer and so you just have so many new faces i i do think as much as they have focused on recruiting on the defensive side of the ball there has been a a talent loss there from all the guys that you like when null showed up again the 2021 thing you had so many guys on that 2021 defense who'd been starting for oklahoma state on defense for like four years they started like year one with jim Knowles and started the whole time Malcolm Rodriguez was the most underrated linebacker in the big 12. Still like two years later, I still think he is. Um, he's tearing it up for Detroit. Right. 
And so, but you don't you don't have those guys. Like they're they're gone. Colin Oliver moved back to linebacker and he's playing well. Um, the defensive line is not what it was. You went from a a four two five to a three three five. Um, your defensive backs are young. They're getting banged up. Like Kendall Daniels is a stud, but he can't do it all by himself. You lost two of your starting defensive backfield players to transfer portal for the second straight year in a row that sure as hell would have been helpful this year. Thomas Harper, Jabbar Muhammad. Uh, instead, they're off doing things for Washington and I think Notre Dame. No, yeah, that sounds right. Um, and so, like, you have inexperience. You shifted defensive schemes and you brought in a new defense coordinator. You've seen high points from the defense and you've seen low points like you did against Iowa state where you give up some big plays and they just didn't adjust well enough against Iowa state deciding to become a, an air raid offense against Oklahoma state because you want the, the king of treating pre the non-conference like preseason Matt Campbell decided to completely shift their offensive scheme from the non-conference in which they couldn't score and, tried to run the ball constantly despite an inability to do so. And then said, we'll just throw the ball over Oklahoma state. And it made sense because there were a couple of DBs out coming to the game and they targeted them like crazy, uh, the, the backups like crazy and it worked. And so I just like, this is a defense that it's kind of like Jim Knoll first year. You're going to have to give it some time before it's really going to take hold. You're going to get the roster shifted around and adjusted to it and, and get these guys trained up and ready to go. And so like you knew the defense wasn't going to be able to win you games in the way that it did for, you know, two, three years. And so the offense was going to have to step up and, and, and kind of cover up more, more like an old Oklahoma state team where the defense should be able to do enough. They're going to have games that are not as great. Offense is going to have to carry you. And you screwed around with the offense for three games. And so it's not able to do so. Okay. So you're, you mentioned one player that was on that this Oklahoma State Cowboy defense. Uh, I think you said uh, Kendall Daniels. Kendall Daniels. Yep, he, he's absolutely excellent safety. Like you said, he can't do it by himself. Who, who are some of the other players on this defense? I, the Martin kid at linebacker, he's built like a freaking Greek god. I remember seeing his highlights versus Iowa State. He's shreddy Betty. And then some D linemen, not too sure. I mean, just who's on this defense that's going to match up with you know will howard ben Sennett. you know even our offense is somewhat still getting in the flow but who, who's going to be some of those players to match up versus this k-state offense yeah they used martin really well at linebacker against iowa state he had a heck of a game he had a breakout game con oliver again he used he was a defensive end that they moved back to linebacker this year when they shifted from the 425 to the 335 i think he's made a, a pretty good transition to linebacker he's still learning um it is a, a bit of a hybrid position because we had so many des who would who would drop back and we had so many linebackers who would move forward and in jim Knoll system so like it's not like he was just playing a lineup defensive end and and smash mouth but like he's doing a very good year or very well in his year one um kind of moving back to that linebacker position from there um and i'd love to tell you that the defensive line has done a good job they've been okay They've been all right. Um, Anthony Goodlow has been all right. Um, Justin Kirkland, we got a lot of excitement in the off season because we were told, you know, this guy's killing it in preseason camp. And it turns out that really our center is just not very good against true nose tackles. And it made him look a lot better than he actually was not to say That's he hasn't been good, just that he's but transfer from Tulsa. Who's probably needed a two years of playing P five to really continue to be, the guy we hoped that he would be. That, that's um, a name familiar for K State recruiting. That that Kirkland. I think he was. I'm not. I'm not sure if he was Utah. I mean, he was like Utah State or something. Utah like that. Tech. Utah, Utah Tech. Tech. Yes, yeah. he was a name familiar to K State. Yeah, Kansas State went after him as well, and the story was basically OSU was like, "No, we're not letting him go anywhere else." And so it was like Kansas State was like, "Hey, do you want to know?" OSU just went, "No, that go away," <laughs> and uh, said, "We'll we'll get him here." Um, I like what I've seen from the defensive backs for the most part, but again, injuries, injuries really hurt them in that defensive backfield against Iowa State. Like I, I, I think that played a big role in it. You need Corey Black um, to be healthy. Uh, he's at corner, and I think he's he's fantastic. I, I, I have I have thought for quite some time. Like I don't love the OSU offensive coaching staff, 
but the defensive coaching staff's been an, done a very good job of of recruiting, identifying guys, and developing them to fit a first specific scheme. It stinks because you had a one time defensive coordinator last year. And now you're switching schemes, and again, I just I think you've just it's a young defense that's trying to figure some things out and learn a new scheme, and it shows. So let's get down to brass tacks. If you have to boil it down to one thing or two things that Oklahoma State has to execute on this weekend in order to get that win on Friday, what would those two things or or however many things you want to you want to give us? But what would what would that recipe be for success for Oklahoma State on Friday? I mean, I, I, here's my problem. I'm so pessimistic and I'm just like, can you keep it? Can you not lose 48 to nothing like last year? Could we do that? That'd be great. That'd be awesome. I'd really appreciate that. Like, how does Oklahoma State win this game? Uh, to me, it's you limit, you have to make Kansas State one dimensional. Whichever way you want to do that's fine. And because I do have a lot of respect for Kansas State's offense, both in the run and the pass. So the question becomes can you can you actually take one away? Now that's still going to give you a situation where I, Will Howard is very effective at throwing, passing the ball. I don't love Kansas State's receiving core. It's not really ever a strength of Kansas State. I do like Ben Snot a lot. Um, and honestly, like the run game scares me more than the passing game, even though I thought Kansas State's air attack looked great against a UCF defense that might not be as good as we thought us at this point after the last two games that we've now seen from UCF's uh, defense. <laughs> At least for a half against Baylor. Um, like, can you make Kansas State one-dimensional on offense? And then from the Oklahoma State offense, like, God, can you just look like a team that has played a couple of games together? Like, I don't – it's hard for me to imagine a good Oklahoma State offense because it's been a while since I've seen one. And I don't just mean 2023. Like you had some games last year when, but that's because Spencer Sanders saved you with his legs. Um, I can't recall a whole lot of great ones in 2021. I think a couple down later in the season, but most of that was just your defense was like top five nationally before that. It, you know, it's been good games and down games and inconsistency. I just, can the offensive line stay healthy and hold up well enough to let Ullman, Alan Bowman have time and, and, get into rhythm with his receivers. I would love to see that. I just, I'm so pessimistic right now. I, I like, I would love to sit here and be like, I've come on to bring smart analysis and break down. I was like, I just, I'm so would rather talk about UCF Kansas this week because that game is so exciting. And I, I want to see what UCF does now that they've lost two games in the way that they have to see what they do against Kansas and can Jalen Daniels be healthy? Cause the conference is a whole lot more fun when Jalen Daniels is healthy and he's still the best Jay Daniels in college football. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. You did. That's, yeah. that's good. Thank you. Um, so as the pessimistic one on this, podcast, <laughs> I feel you. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about last year and Why? we do, we do keep some receipts on this show and we previewed the game last year. You were on the record and saying you did not believe in Will Howard and that you I did not. It. I did not. In my defense, and I don't want any of you sitting here being like, we knew he was going to look like that because you're going to have to show me any and all evidence that proved that that's the kind of Will Howard that would show up in a game for Kansas State because it had <laughs> not existed before last season. I've never seen a more miraculous, like that is Joe Burrow. Before every year until his last year at LSU level of like, where the f did this come from? Who's did you is that guy wearing a did he did he just like Buffalo Bill the face onto somebody else? Because that is not the guy we've seen before. Dude, if he could turn into Joe Burrow this year, that'd be kind of fantastic. Um, <laughs> but I mean, the the six games that he played, no, not, no, not Joe Burrow this year, no, 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 not this year's Joe Burrow. Great point, great point. Um, but the, the last six games that he played, and then the beginning of this season, I mean, what are your thoughts on Will Howard and how he's developed and what he looks like as a, a, a unequivocal starting quarterback right now. I mean, I, I think 
I think he looks fantastic. And I like props to him for that UCF game coming out there, obviously banged up and not a hundred percent and lighting UCF up. I mean, I, I have to give Colin Klein a ton of credit because the only real difference to me between Will Howard before 2022 and Will Howard 2022 and after is the change in offensive coordinator. And so y'all, y'all haven't thought realized the fact that he sucked until Colin Klein became his OC and all of a sudden he's quite good. He's quite a good quarterback. He was not good before last year. It's why he was coming in. No one was like, oh, okay, Will Howard, we've, we've seen this story before and it's more of a travesty or tragedy than it is anything else. And all of a sudden we're like, who the, like props to Colin Klein. I, if, if he wants to be a head coach, I got a feeling he'll have an opportunity to do so. Cause like, if like, I'm, I'm very interested in what happens with um, uh, Avery, right. The, the stud freshman that's at Kansas state. I try and keep track with recruiting as best I can. There's 14 teams now. And then there's going to be 16. Do you know how hard this is going to be trying to cover a conference this big? Oh, with three children, four and under. Like, I'm really interested because Avery came in pretty highly rated as to begin with. Like, what does he look like in his development with Colin Klein? Because I'm very much on the like, Colin Klein might just be <laughs> legit, y'all. If he did that with Will Howard, what does he do with somebody who comes in more highly rated and talented than Will Howard was? But back to Will Howard, I think he's been impressive. Um, it's it's why I think Kansas State is the best option, best chance. We don't, since the Big 12 brought back the championship game, and part of this is just trends. The Big 12, the reason, the, let, me, let me back up there. It took us a while to figure out, as people who cover the Big 12, that you have to stop p- p- picking who was good last year to be good again. This isn't about teams who, who develop and suddenly just stay great all the time. It's about development cycles and who's at the top of their development cycle, right? And it's usually looking at like who's got a good returning quarterback, who's got who's got pieces that are coming back from a team that was successful last year. Well, Kansas State did lose a lot, especially on defense. And of course, you know, Deuce Howard, Deuce Howard, Deuce Vaughn, good north. Um, but they brought back enough from last year, and you saw enough of the development of Will Howard to say, like, there's there's enough evidence here that they shouldn't take some massive step at my hair is not my friend this is why i don't do things on video very much um same <laughs> i my beard is growing like crazy and i just cut my kids like daddy why do you have white in your beard i'm like you um so like kansas state is it's why i thought so highly of them preseason if you bring back the quarterback you bring back you know your top eight offensive linemen you you bring back enough on defense to say like this team it's not the top of its development cycle that was last year but it it's not it's not all the way back at the bottom like some teams it's just like a step down still has a little bit of chance and at this point Kansas State's the best chance to not have Red River 2 in Arlington in December um, unfortunately you guys don't play Oklahoma because the scheduling gods, I don't know. Not younger, hipper, cooler with the way they set up Oklahoma and Texas this year. Well, you know, speaking of Oklahoma and Texas and the red river shootout and quarterbacks that, you know, they're returning. They're probably the two best quarterbacks in the conference. In my opinion, yours and, and Gabriel, and you're the, you're the commander in chief of podcasting the, the, Big 12. Arlington is looking like their future, possibly, but we got the game this week, Red River Rivalry. What are you seeing from that game? And is the loser of that game really, really in trouble of not making it? No. Here, here's the deal. Um, I don't like doing the schedule breakdown, but we could do the schedule breakdown if you want to. And for both teams, obviously, we know more about who's good in the Big 12 and who's not at this point. And let's just be honest with each other. The Big 12, it's a down year in the development cycle for a large portion of the conference. And the new, the four newcomers aren't quite lifting their weight. They're currently 1-7 in, in conference play to start their careers in the Big 12. And that one win is over 
one of the other four newcomers. So none of them have a win over the original 10 in the conference to begin with. Now that will change at some point. Maybe it's Jason Bean. So UCF can beat a backup quarterback. Who knows? I think they're the only one of the four newcomers playing this week. I think Cincinnati, yeah, Cincinnati, BYU and uh, Houston are all off this week, but like Oklahoma's schedule looked pretty nice coming into the season. Still looks pretty nice. Um, Texas's defense is so good right now that I don't know what team can actually take advantage of Texas's offensive struggles. And and when I say offensive struggles, it's not a saying that the Texas's offense isn't good. Um, the problem is like they will Sark figures the stuff out by the second half, and then they're going to have at least a quarter, if not a full second half where they're going to put up 20 points on you. And I hope you figure it out. Which because is the he's going opposite of last year. Cause we talked last year, the entirety of yes. this year was first half struggle or uh, second half struggles, first half. And that K-State game was the perfect microcosm of that because they were blowing us out of the water. We ended up coming back and making it a ball game in, the, in that second half, but sorry to, sorry to cut you off, but it's just funny to me that the Sark no, you're good. flipped the script this season on what the second half looks like completely. Well, it was, it was OSU Texas last year. Like that there's no reason Texas shouldn't have won that game at all. And then OSU comes roaring back. And what was their last, you know, like good win of the season. But you look at like, look at every game on the schedule so far this season. They, they put up, they had a 21 point third quarter against Rice to win 37 to 10, right? You have the Alabama game. It was 13 to six and a half. They had a 21 point fourth quarter to pull away and put that one away. You look at Wyoming, struggle game, slog game, 21 points in the fourth quarter to win 31 to 10. You look at Baylor. I mean, Baylor, they just smoked Baylor. Like Baylor was just, like Baylor was just bad. But then Kansas, right? It's 13 to seven and a half. And then it's a 13 point quarter and a 14 point quarter. And it's against Chase B. And so, but the problem is like Texas's problem on offense right now is that they waste opportunities too much. They have too many unfinished drives. They had like four against, like that game against Kansas could have been so much worse. They had like four unfinished drives against the Jayhawks. They're, they could have beaten Kansas by like three more touchdowns if they had run that offense efficiently. The defense is so good. The question becomes, is there somebody who can actually make Texas pay when it comes to they get down into the red zone or into, you know, inside the opponent's 30 and then don't come only come away with like three points or a missed field goal or a turnover on downs or things like that, right? Or an interception in the end zone because when you were just still good, he's better this year. But he's still not the like vaunted quarterback savior that he was praised to be until he actually started, you know, throwing the ball at Texas. So, like, who in this conference right now, like Oklahoma, could Oklahoma's defense has been legit enough to? I think this will be a game on Saturday. And if you told me Oklahoma wins, it wouldn't shock me. Like, I, I, Texas is going to get up for this game. Texas will have a big quarter. Oklahoma can do enough on on defense to slow them down but after that for texas name me the team on on texas's schedule the rest of the way we're going to read through this that's going to keep even if texas loses it's going to give them a second or third loss in conference play, right because that's what it's going to take so after oklahoma they get a week off because i don't know why um they go to houston they get byu at home they get kansas state at home they go to tcu they go to iowa state they get texas tech for Texas to suffer a second loss if they lose to Oklahoma, it's going to be one of those games where the defense just doesn't show up for a game like like an old Texas. But this isn't old Texas. Like old Texas would have blown that game to Wyoming or Rice, right? Or they would have played with their food with Kansas too much. Even in close games, they finally go, "Nah, we're we're, we're done. We're going to put this game away." Like, this is not the Texas of old. And so I like Texas to me is inevitable in Arlington. Once they beat Alabama, it was just like, nah. This, like, in the old days, Texas would get up for that game against Alabama but lose by three. Texas beat them by 10 in Tuscaloosa. Well, Alabama's not very good this year. Y'all, Alabama <laughs> isn't have a first round pick NFL quarterback. 
but it doesn't mean Alabama suddenly sucks. So no, and, and Milrose had really good solid flashes too. And, and is he is he the same package that Bryce Young or Tua or any of these other guys were? But no, but he's he's going to have probably a pretty solid future, I would say. He just needs to take some time to develop. Um, but you answered my next question, which was while we're while we're kind of zoomed out on the conference as a whole, uh, which team aside from K State is the best team to help prevent that nightmare scenario? Is it West Virginia? I mean, West Virginia doesn't end up playing Texas on this schedule. No, I, <laughs> they're I, the only I, other undefeated team in the conference outside of K State and OU okay. Texas. Okay, so let's do this um, because Texas is going to get there. So at this point, it's just about who can keep Oklahoma at Arlington. Mm-hmm. Like the argument has to not be like who could get Texas is going, who can keep OU out? Because that's to me. Now, if OU wins on Saturday, y'all, it's it's if OU beats Texas on Saturday, just take your Sharpie and put OU Texas in Arlington. Like it's happening. Because that would require then for Oklahoma to lose twice to probably keep or three times in conference moving forward to probably prevent them from also going. Yeah, you know, y'all want go go find me the two or three losses for Oklahoma. Uh, okay, let, hold on. Let me let me think of this scenario real quick. Okay, this is a K State podcast, so I'm not yeah. going to defend my. I'm not going to act like I'm not a homer in this situation. No, no, please be. If, if Texas if Texas loses to OU, yeah, OU's probably not going to lose because they had the most charm charm and soft schedule coming into the season. Yeah. And now it's not looking like they were going to lose to anybody but Texas. So if they beat Texas, Texas has one loss. K-State probably lose to Texas, maybe. And if that happens, I mean, it's just – it's now we're talking – we got the head-to-head, but there's you, – you don't think anybody could beat Texas after that? If they, What if it's – what what happens in the game at OU that they show some weaknesses? Well, I've just talked about something that, that that's a weakness. The question is the the thing here again is not it's not that I don't think Texas could lose another game, all right. I think we've seen things from Texas that show us that they could, but I'm having a hard time with the team that I say like could Kansas State exploit that? Yes. Do I think Kansas State is the best bet of a team that could exploit that? Yes. Do I think Texas will get up for Kansas State because Texas State might be the next biggest threat after Oklahoma the schedule? Yes. And if Texas gets up for that that game and doesn't sleep kind of sleepy walkie through it, I like I, Kansas is going to have to play like Kansas State will have to play a perfect game. Like I really think I, I people don't want to hear it. I get it. It's Texas, but this is not this is not the Texas of the last 10, 11, 12 years. Just not get that out of your head. Like I, I, I get it. Your best bet is Oklahoma's got to lose to Texas on Saturday and then needs to lose a game or two after that. Like, and that schedule doesn't set up for them to really do that. Um, they do have to go to Kansas. We'll see how healthy Jalen Daniels is. They have to go to BYU in November. Like that is, that's tricky. Texas leaves the state of Texas one more time. It's Iowa State November. It's the they have hey, two that, games that those are state. those ones are the if if we do see the one time that they are the Texas of old, that's the game that you know you get you get coaches yelling at the the players on the bus for these type of games. I don't so, know. You got hot seat Matt Campbell though. <laughs> he's gonna be fighting. Uh, he's gonna need to. Uh, look, he's he's not going anywhere. Not this year. I, I don't I don't care if they bought him out. Um, there are enough reasons and excuses to utilize to keep him around another season. Um, like the only te- the only hot seats to me are Dana and, and Aranda because Gundy's been there too long, and Campbell has taken them to heights that Iowa State's barely ever seen. So, I got one more question before we. I, I know we got the plug and all that stuff, and you know, final score predictions. What's your do you take any merit to like these, you know, conspiracies with like Big 12 teams and you know, Jalen Daniels four games in sitting out because Lance Leipold's getting that Michigan State love? And I mean, there's just a whole bunch of conspiracies out there for Big 12 teams. I mean, I could go down the list of them, but that Jalen Daniels one's kind of made 
hit at me the hardest because I mean he ha- he does have back issues, but four games in, preserve. I think he still has a red shirt. I'm not sure. And with Lance Leipold in Michigan State, could we possibly see him sitting out the rest of the season like Khalil Herbert did for KU? Every week. Every week. It's something. Chef, I I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you bringing this to my attention and to light. It's always to, to it's always nice to like see a tweet in human form. Um, that is that is a rare and fantastic opportunity, and that's what you have presented me with today. And um, I will I will carry this with me throughout the rest of the week when I need a moment of levity and lightheartedness and uh, and a small smile on my face. So, Chef is the college sports equivalent to the scene in Signs where they're wearing the tinfoil hats. That's just that's Chef. It's behind. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I do have one last thing uh, that I'm just curious about. And we haven't talked about is the four new schools that are going to be coming to the big 12 next year. Um, as much work as it's going to be uh, on your side to get some four, four new pods um, to be working with you at the big or the uh, 10, 12 network, which I'm sure you've already started working on, but yeah. is there one, is there one school in particular that you heard they were coming it it got you fired up. I mean, is there one of the four that that really just like spoke out to your heart and grabbed it and was like, I can't wait to have this school here? I mean, no. And then let me let me explain. Um, I'm psyched for all four. It's awesome to have this Western wing. There isn't one of them, no matter what Utah fans may think. That's just like better than the rest. Like this is a, the whole is greater than the parts to me, not the reverse. Um, I think they all bring some value. And I, and I look at this, not just from a conference standpoint, but from a, I cover the big 12 and I love college softball. And this is a conference that no matter what it says, really men's basketball is number one. Like let's all be a little <laughs> hit, nudge, nudge, poke, poke, honest with each other. Uh, we all love football, but like, I think if you actually ask most fans of big 12 schools, would you rather win a football national championship or a basketball national championship? Half this conference would say basketball. Yeah, I, I'm just going to go to say it. Um, yes. I, Kansas State fans included. I don't like. I think the fan base would be divided, but like, I think there's Kansas State fans who'd be like, if we won a basketball national championship, like, mm, that's nice. Um, and so from that standpoint, like, it's nice to have Colorado back. Obviously, Dion's making waves. That's good for the conference because we need all the attention we can get. Uh, Arizona and Arizona State, like. I was talking with uh, Brady Vernon from D1 Softball, and like at this point, I am convinced that the new big 12 will be the second best softball college softball conference behind the sec. They will, the PAC 12 is dead. The big 10 is adding USC and UCLA. Cool. The rest of the big 10 still sucks even with UCLA and the ACC is good, but with Oklahoma state, uh, what they have become Baylor is solid. UCF has been on the rise, Arizona and Arizona state. Utah is a big, is a program. Like you're going to have the second best softball conference in, in America. Bring it. Oh, by the way, I hey, guess what? It's, it's a pretty good baseball conference. Now you're adding Arizona and Arizona State to that conference as well. Hey, yeah, cool, awesome, bring it. Um, like as it's why like the whole thing together, like football, Utah's good. How much longer is uh, Whittingham going to be the head coach there? Do they sustain that when he leaves? I'm not like I, I, I'm not saying they won't. I'm not sold on them still being as good as they are. Because Arizona and Arizona State ever get their act together? Maybe. Like, Colorado's fun. Deion's not going to be there for a decade because either he's going to suck and get fired or he's going to get a different job. Like, sorry, Colorado. Like, you know what you got. Enjoy it while it's there. And so, like, it is a greater as a whole than it is by the four parts because all of them bring something different to the conference. And all of them cause the Pac-12 to fold, which isn't, like, something I celebrate because I I'm going to tell you right now, Hmm. Here's my hot take. If it if they weren't so damn far away, I would have taken Oregon State and Washington State over pick two. 
honestly, I would take an Oregon State and Washington State over Colorado and Utah. But geography wow. be damned. Wow, that is that is a hot take. As as someone who lives in the Denver metro, I, I am more than unbelievably stoked to have Colorado here just because I get to see away games again and without having to travel to Texas or any like anywhere. I could just drive 40 minutes north and be right there at Folsom Field. And I'm excited for the eyeballs that Dion's gonna bring. But Oregon State, Washington State is it is a, an interesting point that you bring up because Oregon State and Washington State are both very, very good programs in football right now. Although you look historically, Washington State's kind of there with K State when we're when we're looking at it holistically. But they've they've had some really great success, really the last fifteen years or so with Mike Leach and rest his soul. Uh, yeah, that's all I have. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. Speaking of Mike Leach, I did this on my show, and I, I'm gonna do it every <laughs> chance I can. Um, this is not directed. I don't know if you have Texas Tech fans who listen to the show. Probably not, but maybe you do. Probably not um, a ton, but I did listen this morning, so I know where you're going. Oh, oh yes. Um, this is not directed at fans of Texas Tech because I think the majority of them agree with me. FU, Texas Tech, administration, athletic department, and everyone else who runs that university for having the freaking audacity to celebrate the man whose family you still refuse to pay the $2.4 million you owe and who would never have a dreamed of stepping foot on your campus when he was still alive, but to wait until after he's died and then to try to honor him by adding him into your like hall of honor. Screw you. That is some straight up disingenuous pat yourself on the back circle jerk bullshit. I, still makes me so angry i'm fine with joey mcguire doing it joey mcguire wasn't part of texas tech when all that went down i don't blame the fans for this because i don't know any fan who's like yeah mike leach deserved to leave no but to the administration to all y'all sitting in there making this decision in your boardroom screw you better and on that note Give us your final score prediction for the K-State Oklahoma State game and then plug whatever you want to plug or go on another rant about the Texas Tech administration. You can do whatever you want, Bill. That was a hell of a transition right there. <laughs> Kansas State a lot, Oklahoma State a little. Uh 38 to 20. Uh perfect. Okay. I would take a 38 to 20 victory. I just I I like yeah, I I am. I've got to see it to believe it with Oklahoma State at this point. And I. That's also. If Kansas State hadn't also had the week off, I would make this a closer game. Both teams had an opportunity to get healthy, prepare for this game, put themselves in the right mindset for it. I. So any advantage Oklahoma State might have had, there's not one. And so I just like I, the the leap that OSU would have had to have made from. The Iowa State game two weeks, you know, week in week four to a Friday night game in week six. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. Um, so, Kansas State. Uh, yeah, I promise I don't sit and just complain about Oklahoma State on my show, the Ten Twelve Podcast. We talk about the entire conference as whole. We eat the whole damn pie, y'all. Every single crumb bite covered in homemade whipped cream. Emphasize on the whip. Uh, you can find the 1012 podcast everywhere podcasts are available. You can find every show in the 1012 podcast network, including Bosco's Boys, which I know all of you all listening already listen to. And if you don't, Chauncey is sad. You make Chauncey sad. Uh, but you can find that in every other show in the network at 1012network.com. T E N, the number 12, the word network, as well as some sponsors and supporters of the network there as well. Go Charlie Hustle. Um, you can also check out, ooh, check us out on YouTube. The 1012 podcast is on YouTube. I'm, the show is on YouTube. So come subscribe to 1012 podcast along with posting the episodes there. We will have some more interviews. Once we get out of football season, I have to cut back and just focus on what I got to focus on because there's so much stuff going on. However, we do have the 1012 Big 12 special team show. Every Wednesday it drops. We look back at the biggest and best special teams plays of the weekend in the Big 12. We bring on some absolutely fantastic guests, including Devin Anktel. Y'all know who that guy is. He was our uh, special teams uh, specialist guest for the week two review. No, week three. Sorry, week two was UCF kicker Colton Boomer. Um, I'm not going to say who this week's guests are, but I'll say this. 
Um, we've got Jay Nobercrom, former TCU kicker punter, back on to review big plays from this week again. Um, I should actually have a Big 12 player. If I say who it is, the interview won't happen, and then I will have said it and lied. So I'm not going to say it so that it might actually go through tomorrow. It's not a Kansas State player. Let's just say he is a guy who made a game-winning play for a Big 12 team this past weekend. We'll leave it at that. All right. All right. right. Well, you know where to find Philip. Philip, thank you again a ton for coming on. Second year in a row. We appreciate it. Hopefully, many more years to come. Hopefully, they never get rid of this this matchup on the schedule. And for all of us at Cocaine Willie, thanks a ton for listening to the show or watching on YouTube. Do us a favor. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, leave us a five-star rating, follow the show. And if you're watching on YouTube, give us a like on the video and subscribe to the channel. Even if you're not a K-State fan, we have great content regardless of who you are a fan of. Uh, You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram or follow us individually. I am at Bob Trollsby. Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And Fireball Matt is at Matt Marchesini. Chef. Shit. Oh, shit. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are all coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's fucking ride. And that's it. Uh...